रामकथा रसवाहिनी चैप्टर 11 पार्ट 1 लक्ष्मणा गोस विद रामा Within the palace Rama's companions elated and happy ready with bright countenance and splendid robes were waiting to accompany him to the festival hall Sumantra went into the apartments that lay still deeper inside the palace There he saw Rama seated on a golden cot scattering divine light around him and Sita standing by his side gently fanning him He shone like the moon with the star Chitra. Sumantra in a hurry could not brook delay. Rama, mother Kekai and your father asked me to bring you quickly to a palace. They sent me here on that mission and I hurried for that same purpose. Rama turned towards Sita. Sita, this is a sign of some obstacle and nothing else. I am not unaware of this but I kept silent and said Yes for everything so that father might be happy father's orders are to be honored lest he be pained while rama was talking in this train sumantra's heart was pounding fast inside him he was trying to interpret rama's words and the picture of dasharatha lying wailing on the floor he was now convinced that the obstacle rama spoke of was genuine but sita interrupted rama Lord what are you talking about on this auspicious occasion you should not speak thus whatever the obstacle father-in-law's words must be honored if he is content we are content for his sake we must renounce whatever has to be don't hesitate even a little go immediately we will be equally happy whether the coronation takes place or not mother kekai has inordinate affection towards you Anything she directs us to do any order she gives us will be for good beyond doubt no one here on earth is as solicitous for our welfare as mother kekai when father and such a mother sent word that you should hasten toward them how happy we should be sita followed rama to the main door of the hall and wished him well rama told her sita Don't I know all this for me the days of the past the days around us and the days yet to come are all the same I welcome each day with full joy I am prepared to do anything to uphold father's reputation I am prepared to go anywhere I am immensely happy that you share my feeling and second my resolve Rama moved out accompanied by Sumantra When they ascended the chariot waiting on the road in front of the palace people raised shouts of jai jai ramachandra dear lord the acclamation shook the skies sumantra announced to the populace now the chariot is not taking rama to the coronation hall but to the emperor so allow the chariot to go as fast as it should Rama will return in a few moments so wait here Sumantra explained the reason for the hurry and drove 
in hot haste. As Rama drove along the city streets of KK's palace in his divine chariot, those seeing him cheered like lions. Minstrels and courtiers started pians of praise. The strains of many instruments of music filled the sky. Acclamations of Jai Jai rose the thick masses of people on both sides of the road. Women in their best clothes and bedecked with jewels thronged the terraces of the houses and filled the windows, eagerly to wave lamps when Rama passed by. As he approached the palace, they showered floral petals and waved sacred lamps. They gazed upon the prince until he passed beyond the reach of the eye. Then they relished with joy the picture of Rama in the chariot that they had imprinted on their hearts and stood without stirring wherever they are, like idols of themselves, lost in contemplation of the bliss that filled them. rode into the precincts of Dasharatha's palace named Vardhamana and as imposing as Mount Kailas itself. It passed through the three quadrangles guarded by vigilant bowmen. Rama alighted from the vehicle and moved through two more quadrangles on foot. While walking, he told his companions, even Lakshmana, to stay back, for Rama knew what was about to happen soon. In spite of this, he was acting like a mortal, as naturally as any would under the circumstances. Finally, Rama entered the apartments of the queens and the place where Dasharatha had fallen on the bed. His hair was behaviled and he was wearing clothes of yesterday. He was lying on the bed without any regard to propriety. Rama was astonished at the spectacle. Kaikai was standing by the side of the bed. Dasharatha's face had lost all trace of brightness. He was lamenting and wailing. He raised his head and his eyes fell on Rama. His tongue failed to spell out what he longed to say. Tears streamed from his eyes. Though he tried to speak, no sound came. Rama had never before seen or experienced such a fearful scene. He was filled with anxiety. He hastened to the presence of his father and held both his feet in his hands. Tell me, father, why do you lament, sir? What's the cause? I will try to confer joy on you in the best manner possible. I will dedicate my very life to restoring your bliss. Tell me what has caused this grief. Don't weep. He pleaded. Dasharatha exclaimed, Rama! And broke into tears again, unable to continue. 
he lost consciousness. Rama tried to revive and console him, but he fell deeper into grief and could not be pacified. Rama mustered courage and took his father to task. Father, what is all this? You have to instill courage in young people like me. Instead, you are weeping and wailing and filling us with fear. No, this is not right. This is the occasion to be happy. Is it dharma? Is it proper for you to sink into grief? Till this day, whenever you were angry or worried, my coming to you removed in a trice all signs of those troubles and made you beam with spiritual ananda. You used to gain peace when you drew me near, didn't you? How is it then the longer you look at me, the more you suffer from sorrow? This too makes my grief more painful. Can't you mention the reason for this strange behavior and bring solace to me? Has any wrong been committed by me? If there is anything I have to do, tell me and I shall do it without fail. I shall correct myself if you tell me my faults. Don't grieve, don't doubt or hesitate. Tell me with the authority of affection what I have to do and I will bow to the order. Father, your being plunged in grief is not good augury for you, for me as well as for the empire. Rama turned towards KKE. With folded palms, he asked her, Mother, have I committed any wrong? Tell me who that execrable sinner is who caused such grief to father. The moment father saw me, he used to beckon me lovingly, draw me close to him and fondle me. Now he doesn't even look at me. Why? He doesn't utter a word. He keeps his face turned away from me. If the fault, the crime is mine, I am ready to suffer any punishment to atone for it. It is enough for me if father is happy. Or is he suffering from any illness or disease? Have my brothers sent bad news? They are well, aren't they? Mother Kausalya and Sumitra are well, I hope. I am overcome with grief since I am unable to understand the reason for father's agony. I will do whatever is needed to bring joy back to him, however hard it may be. However painful, I will discharge his command to the full, most loyally, with bowed head. Whoever is born, the father is the cause of his birth. Therefore, the father is everyone's visible God. I seek nothing higher than his happiness. Have compassion on me. Tell me what happened. Mother, was your self-respect hurt by any incident resulting in speaking some harsh words against father? Or did my mother act against his will and hurt his feelings? Mother Kausalya would never behave like that. And Sumitra, I am more certain about her. She would not at all act so. And father would certainly not lament so distressingly even if either of them acted so foolishly. There must be some very serious reason for his plight. If father is reluctant to tell me what it is, at least you can tell me about it and console my grief. Looking at Rama, who was so pathetically praying to her, KK gave up all sense of mercy and moderation, all consideration for husband who might be plunged in deeper mystery when he heard her words spoken utter disregard for the calamities they were sure to usher in. She didn't stop to ask whether 
the words could be uttered or were better left unspoken. She didn't discriminate between the fleeting present and the oncoming future. She brushed aside the claims of love and cast off her own innate dignity and motherly status. Rama, listen. Years ago, during the battle between gods and demons, your father was wounded by demonic arrows and suffered unbearable pain. I nursed him back to health and happiness. He appreciated my sacrifice and service and promised to grant me two boons. At the time, the only thing I craved was his recovery and victory. So I replied, I don't desire my boon now. I will ask you for the promised boons when I feel the urge later. Your father said, Right, whenever you like, ask me for two boons and I will certainly grant them and fulfill your desire. These boons have no limit of time and are bound by no condition. Whenever you ask, whatever the boons I will give them, he vowed. You know that signs of the Ikshwaku line never break their promised word. Putting faith in that well-known fact, I ask now for those two boons. One, that my son Bharata should be crowned emperor. And two, that you should be sent into the Dandaka forest for a period of 14 years. As a result, your father is creating this hubbub. Why elaborate further? I won't modify or withdraw my demands. If your father is an adherent of truth, and if you desire to prove that you too are an adherent of truth, you have to go this very moment to the Dandaka forest, wearing deer skin and matted hair. You have to reside there for 14 years. Since you are his very life breath, he doesn't like to send you into exile. He is reluctant to ask you to go. He apprehends that you may take it amiss. That is the reason for his grief. Rama, no other calamity or deluge has happened. It is meaningless to exaggerate this minor matter and make out that a mountainous catastrophe has landed on us. Rama, the father can be saved from the sin of breaking his word only when his very image, the son, resolves to fulfill the vow he fails to fulfill. Otherwise, if he has vowed and he who is his son both neglect it, then the father has to meet the doom of eternal downfall. You are not unaware of this. Rama was not at all affected by these words, uttered with such deliberate hard-heartedness. With a smile playing on his lips, he replied, for this reason, it is not proper that father should lament. He nodded his head as if to signify his approval of the proposals made by Kaikai. But when this conversation fell on his ears, Tasharatha felt as if his heart was being sawn within. He rolled and groaned in extreme agony. Rama turned towards Kaikai. Mother, it will happen as you have contemplated. I am reverentially placing on my head the promise made by my father. It is enough if father draws me near him as he is so lovingly used to, speaks to me affectionately and blesses me. Well, if I am at least told that I don't deserve these, that I have not earned that merit, I will accept it without demur and with equal joy and satisfaction. 
Father always wishes the best for me. He blesses me always and desires that I progress ever. He is a great seer. For me, he is not only the father but the preceptor who teaches the highest path. What responsibility and duty have I other than conferring joy on him who is both father and teacher? This is my dearest duty, my dharma. I will derive immense spiritual bliss in the forest for 14 years. Not merely 14, if father's wish is such, I am prepared to live all my life in the forest itself. But why does father hesitate to tell me about the two boons? This is what pains me. Will I ever say no to what he says? Rama is the servant and support of the parental word, not its opponent. Is there any act of gratitude nobler than dedicating this body which was received from the father to his service alone? I will offer it with spiritual bliss. I am not one who waits to be told to do so. Mother, why didn't you mention to me that Bharata is to be crowned? I and my brother, there is no difference between us. We know no distinction among ourselves. Also, why do you say so? This is your father's command. Do I ever disobey your command? No, never. Whether you or my father says it, I unhesitatingly carry it out. I leave Ayodhya this very day and go to the forest. Mother, send proper messengers to bring Bharata back. It is best to get him quickly. If my moving into the forest and Bharata's coronation happen at the same time, father will be saved from physical strain, mental anxiety and a sense of void. And you too can be fully content. Who can say how events will shape themselves? When Kekai heard these words of Rama, she was filled with happiness and apprehension. She feared what might happen if Bharata arrived while Rama was still in the city and concluded that it was best to insist on Rama leaving for the forest that very day. She replied, "Rama, it is possible to make arrangements to get Bharata to Ayodhya, but there is no need for you to stay here until he arrives." Since you have decided to start the hermit life why should you delay your departure the longer the start is delayed the longer your return is delayed you get ready to leave even now your father is eager to tell you this himself but he is unwilling to express his command directly though his heart insists that he should say it he is bothered by a sense of shame for he loves you much he is reluctant to inform you of his promise to me that is the reason for his distress he has no other grief the quicker you leave the sooner he will recover from agony until you leave i am afraid he won't take food or bath so if you yearn to restore his happiness the sooner you depart the better Dasharatha lying prostrate on the bed heard Kekai's heart-piercing words and couldn't contain his anger and sorrow he burst into indistinct fury fire on you traitorous demon turning to rama he cried rama rama 
twice and fainted again. Rama sat on the bed with the head of his father on his lap. He stroked the forehead and consoled and comforted him with sweet lovingness. He spoke to Kaikeyi, Mother, I am not a covetous fellow poisoned by worldly ambition. I have no desire to win over the people and establish my rule over the kingdom. I wish to live like a hermit. I yearn to foster and maintain righteousness, that is all. I have only one more resolve, to comfort joy on my most revered father. To realize these three objectives, I have prepared to undertake any task. A son has no greater duty, no higher good than serving the father. Mother, though father has not directly spoken to me, you are telling me what his command is, aren't you? That is quite enough. Besides, you are speaking in his very presence and despite his hearing what you say, he is unable to alter or deny anything. Therefore, I infer that your words are virtually his. So, I bow to the order and believe as directed. Mother, I have one little wish which I hope you will fulfill. When Bharata rules the empire, see that he obeys father's orders in every way and that he contributes to father's joy and satisfaction by his acts. For me, for Bharata, indeed for every son, there is nothing more holy and fruitful than the vow of filling the heart of the father with contentment and happiness. Service of the father is the son's eternal duty. Rama fell prostrate and touched Kaikeyi's feet. Dasharatha, who heard his son, writhed as if the dharma that Rama expounded and the equanimity that he revealed aroused his love even more and thus aggravated his sorrow beyond control. Knowing that Rama would not stay in Ayodhya any longer, he lost all sense of propriety and status. He shouted, Rama! and slumped on the hard floor. Women in their quarters heard the thump and were stunned into grief and wonder. They lamented loudly among themselves at the turn of events. Rama realized that it was not advisable to delay any longer. He prostrated before his father and touched his feet. Then he walked out of the apartment. Lakshmana was standing at the door, listening to the words spoken inside the room. He was in tears. He was furious with Kaikai and angry with father. He found it impossible to give expression to his feelings. So he followed Rama with arms folded, head bent low and eyes on the ground. Though he had lost the kingdom and had to exile himself to the forest, Rama's face shone like the moon behind the thick dark clouds unaffected by the black wheel. The splendor of his countenance was unaffected, for he faced honor and dishonor with equal serenity. He behaved like a veteran yogi, with no trace of agitation in thought, word and deed. He walked as if nothing had happened to cause him worry. However, Sumantra guessed that some transformation had happened inside the palace. 
the gas soon grew into certainty. When his eyes fell on Lakshmana, his heart suffered a shock. To add to his fears, Rama brushed aside the white umbrella that was held over him by the attendant. He ordered that the ceremonial whisks not be used for him. He declared that he did not deserve the silver chariot anymore. Sumantra lost strength of body and will. His worst fears were confirmed. Rama didn't speak a word to those around him or to the citizens he met. Not that he was sad. No, he knew that others will be hurt if they heard the news. For if he spoke, he would have to speak the truth and he would be spreading sadness through his words. In spite of this, his style of walking back to the palace announced the sad news to all onlookers. Rama didn't go directly to Sita's apartments. Instead, he walked to Kausalya's palace, which was resplendent with flags and festoons and other marks of jubilation. The women and other attendants of the palace got intimation of the approach of Rama and Lakshmana. They readied lamps on plates and arranged themselves in rows to welcome them. Old and trusted guards at the main entrance rose sharply when they espied the brothers and exclaimed, Victory! May it be victory to you! They bowed low and offered homage. When Rama entered the second square inside, the Brahmins who had gathered there showered their blessings on him. On entering the third square, the young maids in attendance rushed in, carrying the happy tidings that Rama and his younger brother were arriving to offer reverence to the mother. They themselves were delighted at the sight of the princess. From the outer door right up to the mother's room, maidens standing on both sides of the long passage waved ceremonial lamps as signs of welcome, to ward off evil and welcome joy and prosperity. Queen Kausalya had observed vigil all night, preparing for the holy day that had dawned. She was engaged since dawn in worshipful rites. Aged Brahmin priests were propitiating the god of fire with Vedic hymns when Rama was announced. The mother was overwhelmed with joy since she could witness with her own eyes the coronation of her son. She had been celebrating her joy by means of several rites and by giving away plentiful gifts. She had fasted and kept vigil. Spiritual bliss was enough food for her, the bliss she shared with all. She ran forward to clasp Rama in her arms. She caressed the curls on his head and led him by the hand into the shrine room where she was spending the morning. She had no knowledge of the somersault events had taken. Innocent and simple-hearted as she was, she wore the white sari of purity and with the sacred silk cord tied round her waist, she was gratefully engaged in worship of the gods. Looking at Rama's face, she noticed an added splendor illumining it, so she could not contain within herself her bliss. Son, she said, your forefathers were all royal sages. They were strong upholders of right and were Mahatmas each one. You shall be as long-lived as they, 
as renowned as they. Your glory must reach the ends of all the quarters as their glory did. Son, follow the ideals of righteousness held high by this dynasty. Do not neglect them, even in a fit of absence of mind. Hold on to them without wavering in the least. She placed a few grains of rice on his head in token of his blessing on the auspicious day. She placed a golden seed near hers, saying, Son, you observed the ceremonial vigil last night, didn't you? And you fasted yesterday, according to rule. You must be exhausted. Sit here for a while and eat a few fruits. So saying, she held forth a gold plate of fruits that she had made ready for him. Rama was thrilled by the spiritual bliss of the mother and the love she showered on. He was wondered how he could communicate to her the turn of events. He was unwilling to destroy the atmosphere of joy. To give her satisfaction, he sat on the golden chair, fingered the contents of the plate and said, Mother, from this moment, I should not touch gold. I should not sit on golden chairs. I am awaiting your blessing for I have to go in exile to the Dandaka forest. I came to you to take leave. Kausalya couldn't understand a word he said. She could only say, Son, within a few minutes you are to be crowned king and you talk of the Dandaka forest? I can't make sense of what you say. She thought her son was teasing her with a joke. Son, in this auspicious hour, even in fun you shouldn't talk of things of bad omen. Give it up, my lovely gem. She scooped with her fingers a little from a plate of rice, boiled milk sweetened with sugar, and placed it on Rama's tongue. Observing her love and her bliss, Lakshmana's eyes were spontaneously filled with tears. Kausalya noted it, turned to him and asked, Lakshmana, why are you sad? She hurried towards him and tried to caress him, but Lakshmana couldn't suppress his grief any longer. He wept aloud and sobbed. The queen stood aghast, not knowing why he sobbed. Rama's words and Lakshmana's grief confused her much. Rama interceded. Mother, if you promise not to grieve, I will tell you one thing. He held her hands in his very firmly. This will endow me, you and our entire family and dynasty with imperishable glory. So don't give room for any anxiety, doubt or distress. Agree to it with alacrity and affection. Doesn't it give great joy for me to obey father's command? He has resolved to crown my brother Paratha. He has also resolved to send me in the habiliments of a hermit into the Dandaka forest for 14 years. I have bowed to his command and I came to take your leave.
Kaurilya shrieked, Rama! and fell on the floor. What turn of events is this? Is my tender child to be sent into the dark jungle? What crime has Rama done to deserve this? Can this be true? Or is it meaningless jabber coming out of my own brain since I had no sleep and food? While she was trying to explain to herself and consoling herself, the happenings at Keke's palace had spread throughout the Zanena and the noise of wailing and lamentation rose from maids and attendants everywhere. All faces streamed with tears and great sorrow. Cries of Rama, don't leave us were heard on all sides. Grief-stricken groups hurried to Kausalya's palace. Kausalya was overwhelmed with astonishment, sorrow and fear. She could not unravel the mystery of it all. She could not rise from the floor for she was weighed down with anxiety and despair. Nevertheless, she longed to understand what had really happened to cause this universal agony. She drew Rama onto her lap. Caressing his curly hair, she asked, Son, what is this I hear? This news? Tell me clearly what took place. I cannot bear this suspense any longer. Rama told her, Honoring the two boons that father had promised Kaikei once upon a time, father granted her those two wishes. Rama told Kausalya that the first boon she was granted was Bharata to be crowned and the second was I should be sent to the forest for 14 years. Kausalya exclaimed, Rama, did Kaikei really demand such boons? Kaikei had unbounded love and affection towards you. She would not have wished for these things any day. Even if she has, I am sure it must be only to test the king. For this simple thing, why should there be so much confusion and anxiety? Or, assuming she asked for the boons, would your father agree to grant them? I refuse to believe this. Would your father, who cannot tolerate your absence from his presence for a single moment, send you away to the forest for 14 years? This plunges me into more confusion. Seeing his mother doubt the truth of the incidents that actually took place, Rama again held her hands in his and pleaded, Mother, believe me, father had already promised to grant her whichever two boons she desired. After she asked for these two, he had no inclination to break his plighted word, nor could his mind agree to order me into the forest and be without me. He is suffering great mental distress. I can't bear the sight of his affliction. I just returned from that palace. He is stricken unconscious and is terribly anguished. This is the truth. I am not so cruel as to cause such anxiety in you over a light laughable matter. Believe me, I accepted father's order and I came for your permission. <laughs> 